saying that we were going to get into the movies. Yeah, and I'm only going to get into a few of them because there were way too goddamn many for me to really be interested in telling you this clone version or this clone version in the early studio system. It, it's a good metric to know in a, in a story arc, where should I be? Well, there's Beast, I should step over here. Uh, yeah. Some point, at some point, I'm gonna have to sit down with you, like, and force you, like, pump you full of coffee and be like, no, okay, look. Uh, and are swiftly and brutally put down by the Minutemen who use bayonets to get their point across. Well done there. I'm good, Damien. And I'm also glad that I got your name right this time. I apologize for that one TikTok video. Men of this generation wound up serving a whole lot of them as a percentage of the population because of the war, because of a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and actually, in his case, it was pre-war. But, but you know. I was joking. Did he seriously join the American Navy? He did. Fuck it. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California, uh, teaching at the middle school level. And uh, earlier this evening, um, I I got to spend, I don't know, about an hour and a half in one of my happy places. And it's one of those moments where I hadn't really realized it was my happy place until until I was doing it earlier this evening. Um, I made uh, dinner for my family, uh, uh, me and my wife and my son. And um, it was a meal I knew my wife was going to like and that we were not going to have to fight too hard to get my son to eat. Um, he, he's an indifferent eater. He, he actually really likes this particular meal, but He's just not interested in eating because he's five and everything else in the world is much more interesting. Um, it was carnitas and guacamole. And um, I was in the kitchen and my wife was out on the back patio with our son and some of our neighbors. And um, I had 80s tunes playing and I was dancing along being a complete dork. And in the middle of all of it, I realized, you know what? I never realized how happy this made me and this is pretty awesome. Nice. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a really great, it's a really great moment. It doesn't quite apply cause it was longer than a moment, but it, I, yeah, I, I got to linger in my happy place and, um, 80s tunes playing in the background certainly helped. Um, I have the tiger makes every situation nearly every situation better so yeah so that's what i got going on who are you and what have you had going on well i'm damien harmony i'm a u.s history teacher up here in northern california uh at the high school level and uh today my daughter comes up to me and she said uh, i'm writing a story uh using mouse guard which i'm like all right cool back to that Mm -hmm. Uh, and she said so i'm thinking about like this making an old fur who is out of shape and overweight and used to have red fur and now has gray fur um, and who has unexplicable agility and strength and tends to know a lot of things. 
And I was like, oh, it sounds sounds like a, a fun character. She's like, do you mind me writing about you? I said, there it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, uh, yeah. wait a minute. So, okay. what's it called when uh, when when Tolkien made Treebeard? Um, <laughs> um, because this is that, but this is this is totally this is totally that. Um, it it would be it's not it's not it's it's not a self insert, but it's a it's a real person insert. Yeah, it's a loved one so, insert. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was flattering. Um, and uh, painfully accurate. So. <laughs> But it's fine. Uh, she very, rare, uh, very often will just be like, "I don't get it." Like again, we go back to the you know me running down the street thing, and she's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't get how you keep being better than me physically. And I was like, "Yeah, well, before I covered everything in layers and layers and layers of insulation, I, I was a person of some athletic capability, and uh, those things are still deep, deep in there. It just, uh, you know." But you yeah, just so. you just have to go go you know dig it around with mm-hmm. with a probe to find him yeah yeah so yeah so yeah that's what I got going on which is right, uh, cool is, is flattering it's very flattering so I'll All take right. it as such so yeah definitely. yeah I got nothing for us tonight I hope you got something I, I you know I do oh good. actually um good. and and it's only fair that I do because you you did an awful lot uh in in our i did an awful in our last series yeah well yeah no i mean what what you did what what you did was was you know good good solid work but there was there was a terrifying awful lot an awful yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, there was a terrifying amount of it yes the part that's awful was the was the vastness yeah of of what you produced but um i i wanted to start talking about Warhammer 40k and specifically about the Primarchs in Warhammer 40k. Okay. Uh because um and and you know I had kind of kind of had this idea bouncing around in my head for a while like you know I've I've spent way too much time in in the galaxy of Warhammer 40,000 in the in the 41st millennium. Um but we haven't talked about it very much on on the show. Not since and it's, episode three, I want to say. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's been yeah. forever. And like I've mentioned stuff about characters here and there, and it's come up, but like I haven't done any episodes on it since then. And it is, it is, it is a niche of fandom that, like I said, I'm I'm very attached to and and it deserves attention and discussion. Sure. Uh, but the other thing is that we just spent several episodes, I'm not gonna say how many. In the world of wrestling entertainment, parentheses TM, close parens, um, and a couple of things occurred to me. Like as we were talking about all of that, I went, "Okay, now I now now I need to talk about the Primarchs because um, the the Horus Heresy, which I'm going to explain what that means, is a very long running wrestling storyline that spanned across two generations of promoters now. Oh, and, because Horus Hogan was the nephew of Hulk Hogan. Um, and he started off uh, with Raven's flock. And then when that disintegrated after DDP beat Raven, then he went on to the NWO Hollywood, which was kind of the lower tier between NWO Wolfpack and Hollywood Mm -hmm. when Sting decided to go red-faced and and be like a tomato. Um, And then Horace Hogan kind of just got lost in the mix. Uh, But then Hulk Hogan came back with uh, taking care of Balea and 
he used Horace for a little bit of that. And then we just kind of, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. And, and here's the thing you're, uh-huh. you're being, you're being arch as you are wont to do, but you are, you are so close to spiritually right. <laughs> like, um, so what you're saying is that Hulk Hogan and his nephew's storyline stole from Warhammer 40k in the 1990s. Uh or maybe it was prophetic. I or kind of both cuz okay. everything <laughs> all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. <laughs> uh, to to jump into another fandom. Yeah. Um but the the Horus Heresy series there's there's now a series of novels that's like overall on the shelf behind you there in your office, how many paperback novels do you have set in the Star Wars universe? Roughly. Ballpark. I'm going to hit pause. Okay. So you're not counting comic books? Or counting not, counting, books? not counting comics. Graphic novels or no? No. Uh, print novels. Paperback. Okay. Paperback. Print novels. Okay. Uh, I assume if I got a hardback on a deal, that would still count though. That is still, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 150. Okay. Yeah. The Horus Heresy series itself, which which is the biggest series of novels published by Games Workshop in in the universe of Warhammer 40,000 is I want to say at last count there were 62 novels in that series. Okay, see the Yuzhan Vong series in Star Wars is the longest running. Yeah. Um, because you'll have uh the, the Thrawn trilogy, you'll have yeah. the Thrawn yeah, duology. Yeah. And this is all led the Han Solo Chronicles are like yeah, the Han Solo four trilogy. Books. There yeah, were two of those. Okay. Okay. Um, and there there was an octology, uh, but the the longest running one, and there was like the the Jedi uh temple trilogy, like for a little while trilogy yeah, were yeah. a thing, and then there were standalones. Yeah. The longest one they have is 19 books long. It's the okay. John Vong series. Okay. The the series of novels that chronicles the, the events within the Warhammer 40,000 universe known as the Horus Heresy is is over 60 volumes in length. That's um, worthy of the name Horus, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the the drama involved in that story is about a bunch of um, hyper-physical, gigantic men, each of whom has a gimmick, uh, who are involved in really intense interpersonal drama. So, like, there's that, thematically. Um, and additionally, as I was doing the research for this, I realized that the Warhammer 40K universe is chronicled online, essentially as kayfabe um which makes trying to do any analysis of the history of its development almost as hard as pinning down the real life of terry balea yeah like um it's it's as much legend as it is myth as it is fact yeah and you're like okay there was evidence of cypress trees in this area there was evidence of large bulls in this area but the bull of Humbaba and and Gilgamesh actually wrestling is very unlikely. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, in this case though, we're we're dealing with a universe that is like we can all agree upon the fact that that the universe of forty k is entirely fictional, and so the problem that I run into is I want to try to do a historiography of it, 
and like talk about, okay, this is how this set of stories developed. Right. Yeah. And the problem with that is all of the sources that I find online are written in universe. Okay. So, so, so so like right now, is there there a Dunning school of the horse? (laughs) Or like, you know, it's really the courage of the Horatians that we need to focus on. (laughs) And and the Primarchs, they, Uh, they had more, they had more Tyranids coming in on the transports every month. Hey, And yeah, I hung out with people that didn't have sex. I know. Okay. Um, But, but no, I, my days but, in the virtual world actually. Oh, okay. Um, all right. But uh, but like yeah. you know, so they had yeah, fifteen thousand right. tyranids coming off the transports every month. So of course they could replace. But yeah, you know, we space yeah. marines. There were only a few of us, and we had yeah. to carry on our daddy's legacy. You know. Okay. All um, right. Du- so is there a Dunning school in this? No. No. Okay. No. Um. There There's is. Like there a, is the daughters of the uh, the dwarven confederacy or some shit. Like, <laughs> that would you know what i i would There's i would genuinely pick. i would genuinely like somebody to write to the black library publishing company mm. which is games workshops fiction arm i would genuinely like somebody to go okay no look look i understand i understand mm. we've we've spent all this time you know telling all this telling all these stories i i i, I really desperately want to want to do the the lost cause you know interpretation of of the horus heresy um, which would essentially be just essentially any novel post Horus Heresy from the point of view of Chaos Legions. Okay. Because they're all, you know, embittered and yeah, you know what they say you know. for corn and country, you know? It just Wow. I'm going to have to do <laughs> less I it, it's sounding like I'm going to have to do less less, you know, paving of the of the of the underlayment here. Uh, no, you'll, you'll still on. need to. Okay, all right. Like just there, there you know, are keywords that paint. Okay, that's about it. Okay, so your your understanding is a chance the gardener kind of level of yeah. of of grasping of what yes. you're talking. Okay, so. you 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 know the right words to throw out, but like right. you have no concept. Right. Okay, or yeah, better yet, I don't know the right words. I just keep throwing them out. Okay, all right. Yeah, there's my chance the gardener. And 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 the wonderful thing about the Warhammer Forty Thousand Universe is you can do that, and I'll listen to it going, oh, you know more of your shit than I thought. Okay, right. we should make him president. Yeah. <laughs> not going to go there but so so the like i said this this the 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 other the other the principal reason the first reason that i wanted to do this is because this is a fictional universe in which i've spent way too much of my time um from the time that i was 14 Mm -hmm. no no it's younger than that 12 or 13 until now Warhammer 40,000 has been one of the fandoms that I have always had some level of involvement in. So let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. When you got into it, did you know that it was satire? I, I got that sense like, yeah. I would, okay. the, the argument I would make is that, yes, I, I understood, I understood that it was, that it was like so over the top that it was, you know, not, not to be taken 110% seriously. So like similar how I got into wrestling. Like, yeah, this like, is opera. This is yeah. operatic and I'm attracted to this and these broad strokes, but 
there's yeah. no way somebody would <laughs> let someone just punch them 10 times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. like, you know, my, my friends and I, um, the, the older, older friends of ours, you know, acquaintances of ours who are, you know, three or four years older than us, uh, would be playing 40 K or talking about it or painting armies while we were playing D and D in the back room of the game store at Rigel games and books. Okay. And so we heard them talking about this and this universe was just so heavy metal and over the top and crazy pants like, and, and it was just, everything was driven by rule of cool and it was just so fucking awesome. But it was also like, as they were talking about it, they would be laughing because it was, you know, shit was so ridiculous. And so we got kind of both ends of it. Like this is totally rule of cool. And yeah, this is, this is, you know, grim dark and like, oh man, that's badass. But then like, oh yeah. And in this, you know, space fantasy universe, um, you know, the dwarves, uh, are bikers who ride these massive battle trikes, right? you know, and <laughs> like, you know, and, and it was, it was, it was that, yeah, that it's juxtaposition. Like I'm into demolition. Like, you know, I, yeah. I'm not going to paint up my face and suck on like watermelon now and later. So my tongue's super red and wear yeah. like S and M gear, but I like that they do and you know, yeah. that they pick fights with, you know, the, the strike force. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Essentially. And so, so that was, that was kind of the attitude at that, at that point. Sure. Um, and so I, I have a deep and abiding love for this universe and for as, as many times as the game has changed mm-hmm. uh, for the game. Um, and, and mostly even when I was 12, 13, I was developing into a, a future history nerd. And the fact that as I was reading these articles in the game magazine, and as I was listening to these older guys in the, in the game store talking about this stuff, um, the history of this universe was already built in to be vast right. and ancient. And it was getting, and I was watching it get more intricate in real time. You know, Star Wars for me. Uh, yeah. I got, I got, yeah. I, the one of the things I love, you remember, I, as, as, as fans of the show will note, I don't like fiction much. I really don't. I don't read much of it. The only fiction I've, I've reliably enjoyed reading has always been Star Wars books. It's a world that I'm already invested in. It's a world mm-hmm. that like, oh, you've deepened it? Cool. I will keep reading deeper. Like, yeah. I know plenty of stuff going like all the way back. And, you know, and the, oh, here are the recall, you know, and all this kind of stuff in, in a completely fictional universe. So I understand a lived in, really enjoyable, deep, historical, like not only is like, well, it stretches back 20,000 years. It's like, yes. And in the year 18,000, here's what happened. Like that mm-hmm. shit matters. Yeah. So I, I totally understand and respect that. Like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, and so part of what I want to talk about is for, for a very long time, the state of the universe within this, the state of the galaxy capital G, the galaxy. That's, that's the only way the, the setting has ever been referred to. Um, the state of the galaxy remained basically static 
from Rogue Trader, the very first edition of the game, mm-hmm. up until through seven editions of the game, basically nothing, nothing in the present, in air mm-hmm. quotes, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit, of the game changed. And okay. then when the eighth edition of the game was released, all of a sudden they made this decision. We're going to advance the timeline into the 42nd millennium. And they brought a Primark onto the game, a loyalist Primark onto the game table for the previous seven editions of the game. The Primarchs had all been these legendary figures that were important in the background and important in the history, but all of the loyalist Primarchs were disappeared off on some quest someplace in the galaxy. Nobody knows exactly what happened to them, but we've assumed after 10,000 years that they're dead. And the Chaos Primarchs were either dead or had ascended to demonhood and and were in the warp and not not around to do anything. Okay. And then they went and they brought back one of the demon Primarchs. They, they gave him a model and they gave him stats and they said, here he is. And then they went and they brought back one of the loyalist Primarchs. And this was a huge change. And they made these huge changes to the present of the setting. Okay. And in the last episode in which we actually talked about 40K, I talked about this is around the same time that I kind of had to walk away from the hobby because because of life gets in the way of life. Well, well, not just because life gets in the way there, there was, there was an emotional component too, um, which we'll get back into. And I I described exactly what it was that was going on uh, within, within the hobby community and we'll and and within the wider world and oh, we'll right. we'll touch on that yeah um and recently like within the last couple of months they now brought back another loyalist primark and this time now i've actually bought models and i'm going to be getting hold of the newest edition of the game because i'm like well okay you found a way to get me mm-hmm. like okay i i have to do this now but the hook for for our podcast for this is why was it at that point in time mm-hmm. that the creatives involved in the game decided, okay, no, you know what? We're going to advance the timeline and we're going to bring back Gulliman. What what was it that that led to because as we have said from episode one, mm-hmm. you know, the the art and the media that we create are they they drive things that happen in the zitgeist and they are products of things that are happening in the zitgeist absolutely yeah they are a reflection of culture as well as drivers of it and so i want to try to take a look at why is it that it was at that point in the real world that they decided to do this with this fictional world that i that i have invested so much of my time and energy in and in the process of doing the research for this episode, I still haven't come up with a thesis yet, but I think we might be able to kind of figure one out. Okay. Yeah. So now as we do this, I'm going to have to balance on a bit of a line because okay. there is going to be lore that you and our non 40 K playing audience are going to have to understand for the conversation to make any sense. 
culture. And I assume but... that some of that lore will be based on 1970s sensibilities of uh, Brits who are trying to lambast. Uh, <laughs> 70s, 70s and early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's going to yeah. be, I, I assume it's going to step on some toes racially and uh, oh. perhaps gender and sexuality wise too. Um, so, so like, like, <laughs> I don't know if we could like ring a cowbell in the background going, yes, we know that this is the problem um, or just say, I know, uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna... like, you know, my love of yeah. the ultimate warrior. I know it's problematic, but yeah, also yeah. he shakes those ropes, you know, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's, that's going to be, that's going to be part of the discussion is as, as I go, okay. as I go through that stuff, that's, that's something we can, we can definitely, that we will flag like okay. when it, when it comes up. Um, but there's, there's a, a huge danger of this turning into just another 40 K Laura podcast. And that's been yeah. done already by, by a whole lot of other people. Sure. Um, who look like us, <laughs> uh, you know, bearded white guys. Um, yeah. so I'm going to try as we go through to clearly label the parts of this that are, that are meta that okay. are okay. Now I'm talking about like the publishing of the game and all this. And then when, when stuff is lore, you know, label that or, you know, which, which parts are actual real world history and which parts are kayfabe game stuff. Okay. Right? So, so here we go. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 rogue trader, uh, was released in 1987. Okay. And in episode three of the podcast, um, we talked in some detail about how it was a product of those times. Yeah. Um, the game introduced what, what we're going to kind of be focusing on a lot here is that, that rogue trader introduced the games workshop concept of space Marines, uh -huh. which borrowed very heavily from starship troopers, which we've talked about. Yep. And a 1984 novel, uh, by an uh, author named John Steakey, uh, armor, uh, which borrows a lot of the ideas from Starship Troopers and then looks at them through a new wave science fiction lens. Okay. It takes the ideas of Starship Troopers, which which uh, which uh, Heinlein wrote as a kind of a political polemic about citizens and their duty to the state, and then goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm whatever, fuck that. I'm not interested in that. I want to talk about the psychology of violence. I want to talk about the psychology of survival. Okay. And the upshot to way oversimplify the main character of the book has, has been through life experiences that essentially give him a death wish. Like he is, he is going out into battle, trying, trying to die. Like he, he, he knows that his survival chances are almost nil. Um, but he keeps going out and he keeps surviving because there is a part of his part of his psyche that mm -hmm. he refers to as the machine that will not allow him to die. That, that it, it shows up, uh -huh. stuffs all of his humanity down into, into a hole someplace in the back of his head and okay. does what it has to do in order to survive. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so now in now is he aware of that takeover? Yes. And oh, yeah. afterwards he's like, God damn it. Kinda. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, okay. he So he doesn't accept that part of himself. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, okay. the novel the novel is written in the first person and he explicitly talks about that that part that 
almost dissociative part of his of his psyche. Okay. Um, and so in Warhammer Forty Thousand Rogue Trader, the very first mm-hmm. edition of the game, there is no significant mention of Primarchs. There are names that show up that later wind up being the names of Primarchs. The uh, commander and Primarch of the Space Wolves, Lehman Russ, has there's a quotation in the book, but he is described as having been an imperial commander who was then honored by being given the augmentations to become a Space Marine and then becoming the founder of this chapter of Space Marines. Okay. Which, when we actually talk about what Primarchs become in the lore later on, this is a, this is a canon conflict. Okay. And he's also, he's also, uh, mentioned as, as, uh, being the Imperial governor of the planet Lucan, uh, which doesn't show up in later editions. When, when you talk about space wolves, their, their homeworld now Uh in, in, in canonically their homeworld is the world of Fenry. Well, that's, Um, that's, uh, decidedly norse sounding yeah okay yeah space wolves uh think think sea wolves think wolves of the north yeah they're yeah um and so uh but but that's primarch is treated like a command title it's not it doesn't have any any overtones okay and in the book details of space marine physiology are not detailed they're they're not they're not described we get told that the space marines the imperial space marines are toughened by biochem there is mention of the implanted black carapace that the subcutaneous implant that allows them to interface directly with their armor so that uh-huh. it moves like a part of their bodies but in rogue trader that's it we don't we don't hear about any other we don't get any details about okay you know they are post-human. They have these, these, you know, they, they have some implants, they've got some biochem, but there's no exhaustive detail about what, what exactly are these implants? What exactly does this stuff do? Right. We just know that they are the elite of the Imperial armed forces. We know that they are uh, taken from the harshest environments Mm-hmm. And they are they are trained within an inch of their lives and given hypno conditioning and all kinds of you know uh, very very heavy uh, training and conditioning, which I'm going to come back to here in a minute. Sure. Now, in the Rogue Trader version of the universe, when the uh-huh. game first comes out, what now, we know about quick, yeah. because this is not a visual medium that we're giving this information on. Um, right, Traitor. Or trader. And the title of the first edition of the game is Rogue Trader. T-R-A-D-E-R. Thank you. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so in in this initial, I want to say first draft, but obviously there had been multiple drafts before it was published. But in, sure. in this in this first edition of the universe, what we know about the state of the universe is uh the emperor capital E uh-huh. may or may not be alive. 
oh yeah yeah you told i remember that from episode three like yeah uh, it's it's possible he's been dead for like ten thousand years or, or yes one thousand years yes and, ten yeah, he has ten. he has sat atop the golden throne for ten thousand years yeah so it's entirely possible that it's just his corpse yeah um psychics referred to in the game as psychers right uh are fed to him to power the interstellar beacon he emits that allows for faster than light travel through the warp right Okay. His bodyguards, the Adeptus mm-hmm. Custodes, are even more badass than the Space Marines, but they never leave his side. Sure. Praetorian Guard. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, or, put, or a, put a pin guard. in that. Yeah. Put a pin in that and hold on to it for a while. Okay. But, okay. First edition of the game, mm-hmm. and for a very long time after this, his bodyguards never leave the Imperial Palace. They're on Terra. Okay. There are 1,000 chapters of Space Marines across the galaxy. Each chapter of Space Marines has 1,000 Marines. Okay. So 1,000, that's a million. Yeah. Now, when they say there are 1,000 chapters, we don't know whether 1,000 is literally, no, no, there are specifically 1,000 chapters at any given time, or if they're saying there are 1,000 chapters, if it's like, you know, metaphorical 1,000. Like right. and this fuzziness, thousand or yeah, or an actual literal. like. Oh, sorry, can't can't no, draft no, no, more. No, 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 right. no, not one thousand and one. No, right. no. Yeah, and and that we don't know if they're being poetic or we don't know if they're being literal. That fuzziness is intentional. Okay. On on the part of the writers, and it's it's a built in part of the subtext of the setting. Sure. Um. A lot of people in in the process of losing sight of the satire that was involved in the game's tone, I think one of the saddest things about that is the lack of understanding of the cleverness of the way it was all done in the beginning. When you when you lose sight of the satire, you lose sight of the intentional fuzziness. You lose sight of the, okay, you know, the, 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 the trying to think how to, how to phrase what it is I'm, I'm trying to say, but the, the amount of thought that goes into the way it's all written mm-hmm. gets lost when you re when you don't remember that it's, that it's intended to be satirical and at least half tongue in cheek. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And then and then we learn in in the Rogue Trader rule book, um, in the in the background section, we learn that the Imperium fights a constant and eternal war for the survival of the human race. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and there are sections on okay, look, if you want to play as orcs, here's the rules for you know, orcs and here's a little right. bit of background on, you know, how orcs with a K work in this setting. Um, they talk very briefly about Eldar pirates. Um, okay. and you kind of quickly figure out that, okay, Eldar are space elves. All right. Uh, um, and they talk about, and you know, Eldar are notable. So we're going to see halflings and, and dwarves. Yep. And yeah. Squats. Yeah. Squats are in the book as, okay. uh, and, and halflings, both squats and halflings, um trying to remember what they refer to oh ratlings uh so there's squats and ratlings who are 
effectively dwarfs and halflings okay um who have slightly modified stats from a normal human uh and you know have specialties within within the imperial they are imperial mm-hmm. they are they are mutants within within this setting dwarves and halflings are the descendants of humans who went to non-earth-like worlds in one way or another and over generations have adapted to those conditions okay so the squats wound up in on colony worlds close to the galactic core where there's very very high radiation and they're on these planets with higher gravity and so they've because of the high radiation they've all had to live underground sure uh, and because of the high uh, gravity, they have very dense, very compact bones, and they are more compact. Rattlings have wound up surviving in jungle and and other environments where being smaller and more dexterous and more nimble uh, have allowed them to survive uh, over millennia, uh, trying to get away from you know giant predators. Sure, essentially. So. Okay. You know, they they have the the semi-science fictional science fantasy kind of explanation for how these how these groups exist. Mm-hmm. Uh Tyranids appear in the basic rule book. There are only a couple of Tyranid creatures. They are very clearly inspired by uh Starship Troopers and Alien. Okay. They're they're kind of an unholy admixture of the two. Um, so now, now are they, are they like corrupted Eldar? Like we've seen in other, uh, texts or are these You're talking about Tyranids? Yeah. No, Tyranids are an entirely separate, uh, the, okay. the, so they're not orcs. They're not trolls. No, okay. no, no, no. Uh, space orcs over. Well, in, in the first edition of the game, all we know about space orcs is that they are, they're, they're orcs in space. They're, they're, sure. uh, brutal and primitive and, uh, they like loud noises and vehicles that make a lot of loud noise and go fast. Okay. Um, and, and they're alien Hell's monstrous Angel. and yeah. carnivorous and, uh, not just carnivorous, but, uh, cannibalistic. They will, they will eat other sentients like, you know, gotcha. um, so yeah. Um, and so right off the bat, Rick Priestley. Uh, who is who is given the author's credit for the game? He okay. is he is the one name on the cover of the book, mm-hmm. um, and he is he is the father of Warhammer Forty Thousand. Okay. Uh, he is directly borrowing very clearly from Dune and Foundation because we have this impossibly far future setting. Sure, we have this interstellar empire. We have a god emperor. Um the space Marines are very clearly something like the Sardaukar or the Fremen. Okay. You know, they're, you know, fanatical, uh, you know, hypno trained, religious, religiously motivated, uh, super soldiers. Um, he's also clearly borrowing from starship troopers, but there's another source that doesn't get mentioned as much. Um, and, He's very he's very clearly also borrowing, to uh-huh. be generous, from Michael Moorcock. Um, um uh, I'm trying to remember what he Stormbringer. Um okay. I I've mentioned the name a few times yeah, in other episodes. Yeah. Um and at some point I need to just do an episode on 
uh, the Eternal Champion. Yeah, we need more cock episodes. Multi-universe. Really. Yeah. Should have seen that one coming. Yeah, well. Should have, should have, should have twigged to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, we can also do day, the Craven Moorhead series. I think that that would be uh, pretty good. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, we'd, we'd have to. Yeah. I mean, it goes without you know, saying. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I could see us not wanting to blow past that, uh, quite honestly. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah. to working hard on that. So anyway. Sorry, you about to have um, a <laughs> All right. So I'd the, like to, the, I'd like to get off that subject. Please. Okay. So the Richard Fitzwell series yeah. <laughs> nice nice Thanks. um so so michael moorcock the the uh british new wave fantasy author because the thing is He's his not work a documentarian who does porn parodies no of like no. instead of bowling for columbine it's like bowling no. for columbine no okay no okay Roger and me not, is just not me cool. on Roger, Roger in me. No, <sighs> no. God damn it. No. Um, and then, and then he got behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your, your Michael Moore impersonation is actually eerily, eerily on the money there. Yeah. There's uh, some voices I can do. Yeah. So, so but, um, Michael Moorcock is most well known for authoring the the a whole series of books all surround all kind of surrounding the central conceit of the eternal champion, which is where Doctor Otto Octavius goes uh, to fight Orson. Um, and uh, yeah, it's Michael Moorcock. It's right. Yeah. Yes. Cam Dauber has a a small cameo in it. Yeah. So the the Eternal Champion series is a multiversal uh thing mm-hmm. and his protag- the protagonists of each of the kind of sub-series of these novels are the are the reincarnation or the or the re rebirth of this champion figure throughout multiple timelines in multiple universes. So in one universe we have uh, Elric, uh, the the albino prince of the Meldebanaeans, um, who who is bonded to the demon sword Stormbringer. Uh, in another universe, and the one that I'm talking about most right now, uh, is called the Runestaff series. Uh, in that universe, uh, the uh, protagonist is uh, Dorian Hawkmoon. Um, and the part of that series that's important for talking about 40 K is that, um, in that universe, magic and high tech exist side by side, the empire of Grand Britain is trying to conquer a long post-apocalypse Europe. And it's the emperor of Grand Britain is is stuck inside a watery sphere that is his throne and his life support machine all at once. And he is immortal, but he cannot leave this capsule. Okay. 
And so the idea of the golden throne and the question of how alive really is the emperor sure. is very clearly taken from, from this is, is, or at least inspired by, or like, you know, it's clear this, this was there, you know, in, in, in the uh, water in which uh, Priestley was swimming while he was writing Warhammer 40,000. Right. Now, Moorcock's writing style is similarly bombastic to the language that gets used in in the description of the Imperium. Um, and like I said, we'll we'll have to do an episode or two on on Stormbringer at the very least. Sure. Um, and the thing is, Moorcock's work is scathingly satirical. Um, Moorcock was more or less motivated to write fantasy in the first place because he read the Lord of the Rings and he was like, Oh my God, this is so fucking twee. Like, this is such bullshit. This is treacle. Like, Oh no, just, I, I now, now I have to write something because this, this offends me by how like naive this is. Right. And I'm, 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 I'm being a little bit bombastic in my description of it, but when you, when you read interviews of him, it's really clear that he's like, you know, Tolkien was, was a Victorian jackass. Like, no, that's, that's not, that's not the way the real universe works. And, you know, it's, it's a fairy tale and nothing ever ends that nicely. And so all of the eternal champion books, uh, generally like there's this, there are these overtones of doom, like fate is this huge recurring theme Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can, you can struggle against, uh, the entropy of the universe as much as you want to, but chaos is always going to wind up winning in the end. Like, and we're going to come back around to that. So put a pin in that set of ideas. Sure. Um, and so Moorcock's writing is satire of fantasy and post-war British society written in a really meta enough way that it can also be taken deeply seriously within its own universe. So like you can, you can get sucked into uh, Elric's story and, and uh-huh. be carried along in the drama of Elric's story and it's only after you close the book, put the book down and think about it like a day later. And you're like, Oh my God, hmm. that I just, I just completely got hoodwinked. That's a complete satire. Like, Holy shit. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of things. Um, and that's, that's a hundred percent the tone and the, and the kind of theme that keeps coming up within the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Okay. Okay. And so Moorcock's influence, we're, we're going to come back around back to this. Okay. So now in the Warhammer 40,000 rogue trader first edition book, all of this is described in the present tense. All okay. of the description that we get is this is the state of the galaxy. Okay. The emperor sits on his golden throne. He has been on the golden throne for 10,000 years. We live, we are living in an age of superstition mm-hmm. where um, the laser gun has to be uh, blessed uh, by the spirits of war. Um, and, and, you know, technology and magic and technology are intertwined 
sure. to the point that you can't tell where one ends and the other one begins. Um, the Imperium is run by the priesthood of Terra, and it is it is a religious state with the God Emperor as the Godhead. Um, again, it's all it's all present tense. Uh-huh. And there is mention of the dark age of technology and the human diaspora to the stars, but there's no detailed explanation as to how the galaxy got this way. We just know, okay, there's orcs over here and this is how they are. And Eldar are like pirates and they're right. over here and humanity has, has spread throughout the galaxy mm-hmm. and you're going to find worlds where humanity has a like, you know, modern level of technology and worlds where humanity has fallen completely into barbarism. Sure. And here are some of the alien critters that you can use in games that are going to be on planet. Um, it's the universe is presented as a blank slate for you to drop your plastic toy soldiers into. Right. Okay. Because at the it's end hu- of the day, this is the fiction backing up the miniatures game. Yeah. Yeah. Just just like the setting for when we talked about Battletech ages right. ago. It was here here are here are the the houses of the inner sphere and you know your buddy can paint his stuff red and you can paint your stuff green and right. here's how you throw your robots against each other. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Um and the theme within within the book is humanity versus aliens, uh, most pointedly space orcs. Mm-hmm. Um, the scenario that's included in the rule book is space Marines versus orcs. Um, and space Marines are literally the, I have, I have a copy of the mm-hmm. first edition rogue trader rule book. And if you look and I showed it to you back in, yeah, in episode three, but if you look at the image on there, space Marines are literally the poster boys. They are the ones on the front cover of the book. And it has remained that way basically ever since the space right. Marines are, are the poster poster boys for Warhammer 40 K. So now the original rule book includes a two page color spread. There's, there's several places. The book is mostly black and white, but they were able to afford a few, they could put color pages in a few places. Sure. And it's always big, splashy, very, very evocative, moody kind of artwork. And, one of those two page spreads is one of my absolute favorite artifacts of eighties geek culture. And it is, uh, where the color schemes of a multitude of space Marine chapters are shown in their grim, dark, heavy metal meets medieval glory. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's so eighties. It hurts. Uh, the Marines have these beaked helmets that intentionally echo the hound skull helmets of the high middle ages. That, that okay, yeah. pointed yeah. kind of kind of you know uh, uh yep. visor um and there are banners and there's archaic kind of semi-nightly kind of heraldry right that's involved in their aesthetic but at the same time this artwork shows them with graffiti on their armor that they've clearly written on it mm-hmm. um saying things like pray for death and kill 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 okay and the lore at this point emphasizes that Marine chapters usually recruit from primitive worlds or from violent gangs living in the underlevels of massive hive worlds. And that their training is intended to make them, quote, disciplined killers 
or at least controllable ones. Okay. And now Rick Priestley, mm-hmm. the the game's original author, uh, was interviewed in 2015 uh, by Unplugged Games, and in that interview, uh, he he said something that's that's critically important to me. Uh, quote. The fact that the Space Marines were lauded as heroes within Games Workshop always amused me because they're brutal, but they're also completely self-deceiving. The whole idea of the Emperor is that you don't know whether he's alive or dead. The whole Imperium might be running on superstition. There's no guarantee that the Emperor is anything other than a corpse with a residual mental ability to direct spacecraft. It's got some parallels with religious beliefs and principles, and I think a lot of that got missed and overwritten. Okay. So, now, we have, of course, said any number of times, authorial intent means means nothing. Right. But I want to I throw that out there at this point in the conversation so we know where this started. Okay? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a very common claim by British commentators that American by British commentators on American culture that we don't get irony. Right. I think that's an oversimplification. I think we're catching up to it. Yeah. Well, there's a kernel, there's a kernel (laughs) running headlong into running. Yeah. There's a kernel of truth to it. And I want to put a pin in that idea for right now. Okay. okay. So that's four pins you put down. So Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. And okay. and we're going to be coming back. I promise you we're going to be coming back to it. So now at at the state of the birth of the game, mm-hmm. that's it. That's that's everything that's in the war in terms of lore. That's everything about the Imperium and about the Space Marines that's in uh the initial rule book. Uh there's there's a diagram of the fortress monastery of the Space Wolves. Mm-hmm. to drive home hey they're they're like warrior monks okay they they have this monastic kind of aspect to them um there are all kinds of illustrations of of you know soldiers and you know fighting battles and all that kind of stuff but uh-huh. like we don't we don't get any kind of explanation of how this universe came to be we don't get any anything about any of that right we're dropped in the middle of episode 4 yeah yeah. Right. Now this lore vacuum didn't last long because yeah. the guys working at GW in the mid eighties were massive nerds. Sure. Obviously they're working for a game company and right. they had their own in-house magazine, white dwarf. Right. That they needed to create content for. Okay. So what are we going to do? Well, you know, I got this really bitching idea about, uh, you know, I got, you know, we can talk about my chapter of space Marines and I've got like, you know, 12 pages I've written about their history. Cool. Print yeah. it. Like, Print right? It. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So right away, we see articles in that magazine handing out details about Space Marine chapters. Mm-hmm. The Dark Angels uh, get get some detail in issue 96, December of 1987. Uh, now, White Dwarf had existed. Games Workshop, Citadel Miniatures had existed prior to the publishing of Warhammer 40,000. They had been Citadel had started out as a miniatures company and games workshop had, had grown out of Citadel. Okay. And they had started their own magazine in which a lot of role-playing stuff, like 
early issues of games workshop of, of white dwarf had dungeons and dragons modules in them right that that people had written they had stuff for call of cthulhu in a couple of issues um and so it was this it started out as this role play this kind of all all across the board kind of gaming magazine and then warhammer Forty Thousand comes out and it very quickly becomes their in-house uh um generation tool right this for material for their stuff. own right yeah yeah um and so in in this article in issue 96 december of 1987 the dark angels founder the founder of the chapter known as the dark angels is named we get his name is is lionel jacobson or johnson okay and it's written as we, we don't know which one it is okay the the, okay. the chapter was founded we find out you know they they were the first they were the first chapter of space marines they are very proud of their heritage as the first, and their founder was Lionel Jacobson or Johnson. Okay. Now he goes on later as canon develops, he becomes Lion L. Johnson in later lore. Okay. Um, he's not yet referred to as a Primarch. Okay, now I'm, I'm gonna keep coming back to that word Primarch because it, it yeah. becomes important later on. The following month. The very first Index Astartes article appears in issue 97, and it describes the important characters and organization of the Ultramarines. Marnius better than Space Marines, I assume. Well, yes, and they're bright blue. Oh. Because Ultramarine. Okay. You like Aquamarine? So Ultramarine is is a shade of blue. Oh. <laughs> And in the medieval period, ultramarine was the color, essentially, traditionally, that was the color that was used to paint the robes of the Virgin Mary. Oh, the, okay. pigment, the pigment for that color involved the precious stone lapis lazuli. Right. And so, anyway. So, anyway, they're the ultramarines. They are, they are ultramarines, sure, and sure. they're bright blue. So okay. So, right off the bat, Right off the bat, there's this meta pun going on, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So Marnius Calgar, the chapter master of the Ultramarines and the Lord Commander of Ultramar, is described with his game stats. So like, hey, I'm playing Ultramarines and here's our commander. He's okay. He's got, you know, five wounds and a toughness of six. So he's, he's going to be really hard for you to kill. He's a badass, right? Right. And the founder of the chapter is named, his name is Robut Gulliman. And there is, there is debate within the fandom about how exactly you're supposed to pronounce that because it's weird pseudo sci-fi French looking. And anyway, okay. Um, so he gets mentioned, but again, he's not referred to as a Primarch. Okay. Okay. Now, Side note is important here on the weirdness and craziness of the ideas that are being tossed around. Mm -hmm. This is what month did I say this is? This is uh so this is January of 88. Okay. The game came out in summer of 97, or summer rather of 87, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, in so the game has only been out less than a year, and there is no canon yet 
really about anything. Like as stuff is being published in White Dwarf, it is becoming canon. Right. The setting is still really fluid. There's lots of ideas being thrown around. Uh, in the article about the Ultramarines, uh, they mention as one of the characters that they give stats for is uh, the chapter's master of ships, who is not only a Marine, he's also a navigator with a capital N. Within the universe of 40K, just like within the universe of Dune, navigators are human mutants. Right. They're, they're, they're psychically capable of folding time and space and... It, well, what it is they can they can like navigate through precognition, like knowing that this star is going to collide into that star, so I have to avoid that and go around here and then do the yeah. And, okay, and and at this point in forty k lore development, they are still very much very very similar to Dune navigators, but as time goes on, the way they operate is going to change. They are, they are psychic, but their gift isn't so much precognition as it is that they are able to open their perception in the warp and view the warp with their third eye. Okay. Um, in order to see what's going on and navigate safely. Okay. Okay. So yeah, but at this point, like there's a picture of, of the ultramarines master of ships and he's got one hand in the picture that you can see his bare hand and it is webbed. So it's like, this is very clearly borrowing heavily from Dune. Right. Okay. And then the chapters master battle psychic or the title is librarian, Mm -hmm. um, is half Eldar. His, his mother, his mother was human, but his father was an Eldar mercenary and you know he was he was tested by the by the priests of you know the the adeptus uh terra you know and, so and shown Atreides. to be kind of yeah. only he's effectively like well you know he's a half elf right okay. right um it's it's less it's less like you know oh big important character this is, this is like a throwaway kind of you know saying okay. hey you know this is this is we're showing you how a how a space marine chapter might be put together and for a little bit of like individuality oh yeah their head head librarian is is part eldar later on in the lore that gets retconned into not being essentially possible right okay but at this point like you can you can throw anything out on the table you want to and there sure. is no established canon whatever right mm-hmm. um and then in issue 98, in February of 88, this is when we start seeing the details of what makes a Marine a Marine. Uh, we learn for the first time, because Rick Priestley decides to write it down, uh, what are what are all the special organs that make a Marine a Marine? And and they describe it in detail. The lore, the lore now changes. Okay, originally Marines were hard bitten, you know, hardened, desperate, you know, uh, uh, death worlders or whatever who've been hypno taught and, you know, toughened up now they're augmented with a second heart, super efficient blood, reinforced bones. Uh, we find a out they have the soul as, as free as a mountain bird. Energetic yeah. fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. Right. And I know you're referencing something, but I can't recognize it off the top of my head. Really? 
No. Oh, I'm blanking. His nose should pant and his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame and his brow should furl. No. Oh my God. I've, his chest I've... should heave and his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockout blow. Oh God, I can see it, but I can't think of the title. A British tar. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah there you go. From HMS Pinafore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Um so so we, we learn about all these all these superhuman abilities that sure. the Marines have. Yeah. It's it's completely it's ridiculously over the top. And there's still no mention of Primarchs. And that's important because okay. reasons. Okay. In 1988, Games Workshop releases the first of two books uh, that detail the powers of chaos in Warhammer, both Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, it's the Realm, Realm of Chaos books. The first one is Realm of Chaos, Slaves to Darkness. Okay. And in that book, they describe the powers of chaos. And at this point, um, I need to, well, hold on. I, I have my notes written down a particular way. I'll stick to the way I've got my notes written down. Sure. Um, in that book, canon gets set down for the first time that has remained remarkably consistent in the broadest strokes of it ever since. Okay. There were 20 Space Marine chapters uh -huh. created by the emperor in order to go out and conquer the universe in order conquer the galaxy in order to unite humanity. Okay. okay. So he created the first founding was 20 chapters. Two of those chapters, we don't know anything about at all. Right. They were redacted. Uh, and, and the writers did this in order to show us the Imperium's practice of Damnatio Memoriae. To, to remind us that, no, no, this is a regime that will erase things out of history that, that are sufficiently embarrassing, right? Mm -hmm. Of the remaining chapters, half of them turned traitor under the command of Horus in what is now referred to as the Horus heresy. Okay. So this nine, nine remained loyal. Yeah. Yeah. Nine remained loyal, nine turned. Okay. Here, Horus is not referred to as a Primarch. The rest of the founding Primarchs of the Space Marines get no mention. There's no mention at all. The word Primarch does not show up yet. Okay. okay. But there were 20 ch chapters. Two of them have been utterly erased from history. We know nothing about them. Nine of them are labeled as um, excommunicate traitorous. And nine of them were lo remained loyal and are still extant. Okay. In the present quote, present day of the setting. Now realm of chaos was a two volume project. Uh, in 1990, they published the lost and the damned. Uh -huh. And that basically compiled information that had been published originally in white dwarf in the ensuing two years. Now the concept of chaos and it, and, and it's a use of an eight pointed star as its symbol uh -huh. uh, is another wholesale theft from Michael Moorcock within the universe of the eternal champion. All of the multiverses are part of an eternal war between the forces of law, which is symbolized by a single directional arrow 
you know, force moving in one direction, law and chaos, which is an eight pointed star representing everything moving in all directions at once. Right. Um, and so this, this idea, the idea of chaos and the idea of gods of chaos is taken straight out of, out of Moorcock's writing in the Warhammer mythos, which is both Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer fantasy, which I'm not even going to get into. Uh, there are four chaos gods, corn, the God of warfare, rage, and murder. Okay. Nurgle, the God of disease and decay. Zinch, the God of change and magic and Slanesh, the God of excess chaos armies on the tabletop can be dedicated to one of the chaos gods or else can represent chaos undivided and include elements from multiples at once, whatever you want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And within Warhammer 40,000, there was from the beginning, a distinction between original traitor chapters and renegades who were from chapters or forces that were founded later, but then turned to chaos for their own reasons. Okay. Okay. And within the lore, uh, the classic and most famous example of a renegade is the red Corsairs, uh, chapter or, or legion of chaos space Marines. Um, who who rose in rebellion against the Imperium under the leader? Anyway, there's a whole there's a whole I could go on forever about the Badab War, and it's its own it's its own subset of lore. That's why this setting is catnip to me because there's all this shit that you know. Yeah, there's so anyway, a lot of different warrens to fall down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So now I could not find because all of the sources are written in universe and because of that all of them reflect current canon right and none of them none of them spend any time talking about okay so like the first time that we see this character mentioned in the published material is here like i couldn't find that anywhere like there's no leland chi for yeah right yeah um so i i I worked my tail off like okay (laughs) <laughs> my my wife actually said earlier today I was I was going out in the garage and I was finding I'm going to hold them up here so so you can yeah. see them I was I was going into the garage to find my my rule yeah, books book, for the yeah. multiple for the multiple editions of the game mm-hmm. to to try to to try to figure this stuff out and and as I was coming back in from the garage with this you know a couple of fistfuls of books <laughs> my wife said baby you know I've never seen you work this hard on the podcast before. Um, and, and like on the one hand that lit my imposter syndrome off so hard. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and the smart ass part of me was like, well, you're not wrong. Um, but, but, you know, partly I had to explain to her, well, part of that is because you're actually seeing me doing the work. And most of the time I'm doing it during my prep period or before right. or after school or like, I don't, I don't usually do it at home. Right. Right. Um, but, but it is true that like, I've, I've had to spend a lot more effort trying to, to pin down shit in the historiography of this than I've had to do on any other topic I've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's unreliable at best. It's it's well, yeah. I mean, it's all it's like it's you said, there's kayfabe. no canon for so long. Yeah, you know, so. and and it's and it's kayfabe. 
and the yeah. cannon and because the first the cannon was fluid and then the cannon has changed right <laughs> so and and everything that i find now is written in universe so it reflects current canon which is something that is also kind of meta because we know that the Imperium commits Damnatio Memoriae Mm -hmm. and it is stated like we, as the readers of stuff uh, of, of official material, we are, we are let in on the fact that the inquisition knows things that the average Imperial citizen doesn't have any, any concept of the average Imperial citizen does not understand that there are four gods of chaos because Mm -hmm because the inquisition makes sure that any mention of chaos gets quashed right because it is mimetically dangerous thinking about the chaos gods invites their attention so they need to make sure that like that doesn't get a toehold anywhere right right so anyway um so I, i could not pin down for sure where the first mention of primarchs as the fathers of their Marines was. But by 1993, when the second edition of 40 K was published, it, it has become codified and it is an important part of the lore of the Adeptus Astartes. After that, the Adeptus Astartes is the fancy pseudo space Latin title for the space Marines. Okay. Uh, the the priesthood of Earth is the Adeptus Terra. The the uh, the priests who keep all the machines running are the Adeptus Mechanicus of Mars. So everybody is an Adeptus something, and the Space Marines are the Adeptus Astartes. Okay. So now the process of this codification starts, as with basically everything else in this stage of the game's history, in White Dwarf. In 1992. Issues 156 and 157 are the first places where I was able to find a reference to Lehman Russ, who who is in the first rule book. Right. But now in 156 and 157, he gets referred to the story of him being the father of the Space Wolves chapter. And the fact that all of the Space Wolves carry his genetic material mm-hmm. is mentioned for the first time. As is the fact that the space wolves all have particular physical mutations that they derive from him being their gene father. Okay. Okay. Now I can't say for sure that this is the first time the concept came up, but this is the first mention of it that I could pin down Mm -hmm. in white dwarf 161. um, The final battle of the Horus heresy siege of Terra is described in a fiction piece by William King, who notably wrote a number of novels separately about the Space Wolves chapter. In this story, three loyalist primarchs, Rogaldorn, Sanguinius, and Jagate Khan, um, stand with the Emperor as he faces the traitor primarch Horus and the four chaos primarchs who have now by this time in the heresy dedicated themselves to each one of the chaos gods. Um, Magnus, the red has at this point uh, dedicated himself to Zinch, the God of magic and sorcery. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly, later descriptions of the Horus heresy will say that he was not on Terra 
for the final battle, but in this story, he's there. Okay. Uh, Mortarion of the Death Guard has dedicated himself and his his troops uh, to the Chaos God Nurgle. Disease and decay. Mm-hmm. Angron has uh, fallen to Corn, God of Murder, and um, Fulgrim, leader of the Emperor's Children, and his his Marines are all de- dedicated to. Okay. Uh, you and so they're all dedicated to who? Slanesh. Thank you. The god of excess. Okay. And uh, so, like I said, some of this is going to get retcon, but this is the first draft of imperial history. Okay. okay. Now, in White Dwarf one sixty six, October of nineteen ninety three, lists all eighteen of the founding primarchs. Again, there are two of them who aren't named because of Damnatio Memoriae. Right. Interestingly, even traitor Primarchs get mentioned, sure. which has led to all kinds of crazy speculation and like so much fanfic about what exactly it is that happened with sure. those two chapters. That's like so bad. Like Horus tried to overthrow the Imperium. And we know about the Luna Wolves who were later the sons of Horus. Mm-hmm. Like what? What what had to happen with these two other chapters for them to be like scrubbed? Like, you yeah, know, and, and there's do it. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, yeah. you know. Um now th- up to this point, I've been describing everything as metafiction. For any of the rest of this to come close to making any sense, I'm going to have to explain some lore. And the easiest way to do that is kayfabe. So I'm going to, I'm going to go into Mm -hmm. like in universe description of, of the history of humanity for a minute. So bear with me. In the 18th millennium, one assumes common era though in the Imperium itself, nobody knows what they're measuring millennia from. Humanity discovered a way to utilize a parallel dimension called the warp to achieve faster than light travel. Mm -hmm. This led to a massive five millennia long period of expansion across the whole galaxy. This period is known as the dark age of technology when mankind allowed machines to think for them and forgot the power and holiness of human will. Then humanity found itself in a long war against the artificial intelligences of its own creation. Well, that's some dark age of shit right there. Like, oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's (laughs) Butlerian Jihad from Dune. Like, yeah. The Dark Age of Technology ended in the 23rd millennium and became the Age of Strife. What technology remained afterward was a closely guarded secret by the Adeptus Mechanicus of Mars, who have treated it since with superstitious reverence. The galaxy was beset by massive warp storms that isolated all of those colonies for another 7,000 years. On those colonies, humanity descended into desperation and, in many cases, barbarism. On Holy Terra itself, the world was racked by warfare and a similar descent into techno-barbarism. Out of the smoke and ash of those wars, the most powerful psychic in human history moved to ensure the survival of humanity by uniting our race under his rulership. The Emperor, momentary step out of kayfabe, he's never named, ever, 
he is always the emperor and it's one of the only things in canon that has never shifted well that's true he led our iron sheik or the the ultimate warrior as well so thanks yeah or the mountie no that's not true true. mountie was rick brujeau or raymond okay Uh, Okay. but yeah the big boss man though oh there you go yeah or Uh, the the Undertaker. undertaker Although technically the Undertaker came out first as Kane the Undertaker after his debut. C A I N. That's a good point. It's interesting because his right, brother good. then later right. on comes out as Kane K A N E. So. Oh, all right. All right. So the Emperor led armies to conquer Terra. And at the end of that century long conflict, the warp storms dissipated and he launched the Great Crusade to unite the human race under his banner with the Space Marines as the point of his spear. The templates from which the Space Marines were built were the 20 Primarchs. These gene-engineered beings were created to be peerless warriors, but more than that, to be generals, legendary leaders of men, and to be superhuman in all endeavors. As a Space Marine is to a mortal man, a Primarch is to a Marine. Each of the 20 first founding chapters received the seeds of their augmented organs, literally called their gene seeds from their primarch, making the primarchs the fathers of their chapters and creating many of the differences in character and personality between the chapters. Before the primarchs were fully formed, however, as they were, as they were uh, natal within their, within their cocoons uh, in, in the gene engineering lab, the 20 Primarchs were stolen by the Chaos Gods and flung across the galaxy. Each one landed on a different world, and in nearly every case, each one became their world's ruler, thanks to their innate ambition and superlative talents. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like Egyptian and Japanese mythology of just ripping two mating pairs apart and then the spray is the stars? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Great Crusade took centuries. The Emperor and the Primarchs were gradually reunited. As the Emperor conquered the galaxy, he found his sons on these worlds. And uh, each Primarch then took command of his own sons as he was brought into the fold. The first of the Primarchs to be found was Horus Lupercal, Primarch of the 16th chapter, known as the Luna Wolves. Okay, so just real quick, Lupercal <laughs> is yeah. the uh, one of my favorite holidays in Rome. Uh, uh-huh. Little naked yeah. boys would run around with goat skins on their legs, uh, simulating mm-hmm. pan, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they would take thongs, and that is a strip of, of goat leather, dip them in blood, mm-hmm. and whip women on the ass uh, so as to make them fertile. And the women were supposed yeah. to try to run away from it, but also your value is in a, in a patriarchy was to be fertile. So mm. no, no, please don't. Then yeah. they'd stick their ass out. Uh, that was yeah. also the, the ceremony that was used as cover to seize all the Sabine women. Um, after Romulus had gone very politely around to everybody and said, Hey, do you have any women you could lend us? And they're like, who the hell are mm. you? Oh, we're, we're the Romans. We're just down the road. Where'd you come from? The earth. Well, that makes sense. We've heard of that. And then, you know, uh, yes. Yeah, so can we have your <laughs> some of your women? 
And they're like, uh, you came from the earth. Why don't you dig a little deeper and find your own equals? And he's like, oh, oh, okay. You're going to be rude. All right. So he invites them for a World's Fair, the Consus Games, um, yeah. and uh, shows off. Look at all these these places that we built. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had women here? Um, and then because it's honoring Neptune, the god of cities, you don't want to fuck with him. So then yeah. he, he does the signal and the looper cowboys come running out, grab the hot woman women and and take them off and he's like what you want to start a fight during constant games come on get out of here and that starts the the fight between the sabines and the romans um but i just love that yeah. which became yeah. um which was the the first real holiday festival type thing of the year usually and it happened in what mm -hmm. is now known as february like middle of february the month uh, before yeah. that's true the uh the solstice or the month before the equinox so yeah it's valentine's day yep so okay and all, so. all of the yeah so anyway um yeah horus uh rose to become the emperor's most favored son mm -hmm. and war master of the great crusade through a complex series of events that that each uh, yeah complex series of events and i'll leave it there the four gods of chaos managed to corrupt horus and eight of the other primarchs playing on their internal weaknesses and resentments to turn them against the emperor horus succeeded as war master in scattering the loyalist primarchs to prevent them uniting against him and ultimately came within a hair's breadth of conquering terra itself and killing his father the emperor the near-dead emperor, mortally wounded after this fight with his most favored son, ordered Rogel Dorn, the primarch of the seventh chapter, the Imperial Fists, mm -hmm. with his last living breaths to inter him on the golden throne from which he could still protect humanity by projecting, by projecting his psychic will across the galaxy as the Astronomicon, the guiding light in the warp that allows for interstellar navigation and kayfabe now i needed <laughs> i needed to to bring all of that up because that's important for you to know when we start talking about the importance of the primarchs as a part of this setting for the next this is second edition so for the next like six editions okay of the game and and close to and well over 20 more years like this is 93 and and this 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 story mm -hmm. that i just told you remains basically canonical some of the details change but the role of the primarchs the importance of the primarchs mm -hmm. and that that story is becomes um an anchor point for all the lore of the game for over the next 20 years okay and okay. again this is set two millennia after the original 40k game right so well 42K. okay so well now we're in the 42nd where the the 10th oh, but edition this stuff of the happened game, in the 40k this stuff this stuff is the 10,000 years before the present of the game so this is the 30K. I should explain this is the yes this is 30k okay. and actually there is now modernly there is a separate 
tabletop game that is focused on the Horus Heresy. Okay. That that players of it refer to it as 30k rather than right. 40k. And okay. there's also one where like really, really you go back even further and they were just kind of creating like these movements where people would help each other. Um, and it was around like the five thousands. It was everybody was running their own five K. Nice. Thanks. Good job. Yeah, well done. So now I'm I'm leaving out acres of detail. Oh, um, yeah. because like the backstory the, the of every one of the eighteen standing up on the ruins of the 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 planet and saying, As my father is my witness, I shall never go hungry again because Terra nice. was destroyed. Wow, deep cut there. <laughs> that one that one came that one came from a direction I was not anticipating. I'm not even mad about that one. You're quite welcome. Like I I I hate gone with the wind enough that, that I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm there for that. Yeah. Um <laughs> but um every every one of the 18 primarchs has more than one novel at this point dedicated to his story. Okay. Um, as time went on, each one of the first founding chapters, which later become the first founding legions, but that's that's a development from later on. Uh, each one of the each one of the first founding uh, uh, legions uh, and their their primarch get you know a detailed backstory. Uh, we find out mm-hmm. that you know uh, the blood angels all come from the planet Ball. Uh, and their their Primarch uh, saved them all from radi essentially saves all of them in the process of being turned into space brains. They're all suffering some level of radiation poisoning because Ball is a radioactive wasteland. When they get turned into Marines, his genetic material fixes them, turns them into blonde, beautiful, perfect, oh. you know, figures. Oh yeah, there's oh. yeah. Uh, by the way. By the way, he his his gene material um, also uh, gives them all the red thirst, um, and any any war zone where the blood angels are are uh, uh, assigned mm-hmm. tends to have a higher than normal number of personnel go missing from encampments near where the blood angels have their bases. So are they fighting like the yeah they're they're. Or? They're vampires. Oh, okay. I thought it was. They're all. A, they're all vampires. I thought it was a. Going they're all. Native they're all less thing. Okay. Yeah. No. They're, they're all. They're all. Uh, they're all Lestat, basically. Right. But I mean, you, uh, know, <laughs> you know, they they all turn blonde haired, yeah. blue eyed, and then they get the red thirst. Yeah. Like, oh, that's that's unfortunate. That's okay. But yeah, they're yeah. a vampire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the space wolves are essentially they they're cursed with with uh, every every so often one of them. Uh, goes berserk in the middle of a battle and literally turns into a werewolf and he may or may not be able to recover from that. You know, like all of these things get detailed and the story sure. of Lehman Russ conquering, you know, becoming the king of Fenry and the story of Perturabo becoming the ruler of whatever fucking planet Perturabo is. Fuck Perturabo, he's an asshole. Um, sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm interjecting there. Um, you know, Magnus the Red and you know, the story of his whole planet being this wonderful, uh, uh, Oh, I, I do recall you talking about them when we talked about villains who weren't and, and yeah. heroes who weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And so. so, so, I mean, all of this gets developed, 
over time. Sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to treat this as historiography. And so, so that is the state of the galaxy and galactic history as of the third edition of the game in 1993. Okay. And I think we're at a place here where it might be good to yeah, break off. A good break off point. Yeah. So, so we, got, we got the kayfabe history. We got the, we're up to the third yeah. edition. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think so far? Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it reminds me a lot actually of like the inner workings of the Jedi order during the time of Darth Bane and how like you get these characters that like are presented as though they are just, they've always been here. It's always been going on. And like this, these descriptions of it and stuff like that. And and these histories that they do. And that's what I love about these kinds of things is that it's, it's a universe that you, it is a river that didn't start the second you stepped into it. It's a river that's been mm-hmm. going on for thousands of years before you and will go on for thousands of years after you. Um, there's always something cool to learn. There's always something that you're missing. Um, the thing that I appreciate about star Wars was that there was a guy whose job was continuity um mm-hmm. Leland Chi, you know, he was called his job title was the keeper of the holocron. Um how how, how awesome is that? is that, man? Like dude, right? yeah. Um and, you know, so and as a result, like when they were writing their books, they had to agree with each other. Like the books had to make sense. So it, there was one series of books where it was going to pl- take place on Dak, which we would know as Mon Calamari. And in a previous book, because you could, you know, decide to write a story based on whatever time you want within a certain mm-hmm. thing. In a previous book that the year before that, not published the year before that, but it was set the year before that, the Empire had just blown it all to shit. So the author who was, you know, starting the story on Dak was like, oh, oh, man, I have to. Well, let's see what would have happened. There would be cleanup crews. There would be this, and they're rebuilding, and you mm-hmm. know, there's there's people's reactions to it, and all that kind of stuff. And so it changed, it changed things like that. Um, and I think the the way that these authors sounds like they got around it was he scattered them to the four corners of the universe, and so I could just write about this planet and this guy, mm-hmm. and I could just handle you know the seventeenth guy, and that guy over there mm-hmm. is handling the third guy we don't ever have to talk to each other like and there's there is a um a good deal of latitude that that gives and i like that um the downside is that like you know um it it's it's at at this point are they all having to agree on canon by third edition or is it is well, it second, very much at this point it's modules? Edition. um okay second edition. third edition third edition was 98 Okay, so in second ed, were they having to agree on canon? Um, Was it just like, well, you're in your corner of the universe and I'm in mine? Kind somewhere between the two. Um, Early on, set pieces they all had to. You kind of yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You know, and and you can tell it at at this phase in the development, you can tell that there is kind of meta bleed over from the real world into mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, sure. The, the uh, world eaters chapter of space Marines, the the ones who are the chaos chapter dedicated to corn. Um, 
their leader, Angron, mm-hmm. um, according to Apocrypha, um, he got his name because the Games Workshop staff, uh, there there was a there was a player who came into the Nottingham headquarters, you know, where, where there was a game game shop and the studio. And he'd come in with his Marines um, and he would lose his shit when games went bad for him. <laughs> like, like just throw a fit. And um, they, they, they started calling him angry Ron, which turned into Angron. Okay. Yeah. And Angron became the leader of the berserker chapter of chaos Marines dedicated to corn. There you go. You know, so like, you know, it's, it's still in this, in this phase where, where that kind of stuff is going on. Yeah. And like, if you look at the aesthetic of, of the emperor's children, chaos Marines and just slanish in general at, at this phase of development, it's like really clear that the guys in the studio were listening to Judas priest, like, sure. sure. You know, black leather and spikes and studs and all this. And, and like, you know, uh, this is when slanish noise Marines were born. They were, they were, you know, dedicated to the God of excess and they had mm-hmm. blown their eardrums out with, with just subjecting themselves to ever more intense stimuli. Right. And excess. so, yeah. yeah. And so for them, for them to hear anything, it had to always be at absolutely ear splitting volume right. and their, their weapons were, you know, electric guitars. Sure that that made sonic attacks against right. against the enemy army this is the kind of stuff that's going on at that point right and and this is in a phase before all of that had been taken by another generation of players and taken at face value and seriously and like turned into a thing <laughs> like no 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 they're death me- dude they're metal marines like right and of, so and this, of course, this has like, He-Man you know, and the Masters of the Universe vibes to it, where it's like, oh, it's clear they were using uh, psychotro- psychotropic drugs while they were designing these. According to the legend, according to legend, it was just a lot of beer. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like when you yeah. look at all the He-Man characters, you're like, oh, psychedelia, got oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, oh, and yeah. then the next generation comes along and they're like, oh, well, this is an absolute thing. So uh, this is the fantasy yeah. I like. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the same way that when, yeah. when I was a kid, I watched the Adam West Batman show and was like totally enraptured by it. Right. And that's Batman. Like, you know, yeah. that's Batman. Right. Yeah. Right. It's right. the same kind of thing. Okay. Um, And so they had a lot of latitude. And they were still, the satire part of it was still very much there. Cool. Okay. Um. But, but it's the, the the by by second edition, things are starting to get noted down as okay. No, this is how this universe works, and these are some of the things that are going to be truths going forward. It's crystallizing. Yeah. Taking form. Yeah. Um. Okay. This is also around the same time that, you know, the most classic set of rules for the Eldar get codified. Um, and we see the craft world Eldar become a thing. They're no longer just Eldar pirates. They are no, no, they are the craft world Eldar and this is how they all work. Okay. And that's happening with, with a lot of the different forces I mean, for, for this, we're, we're focusing on space Marines and the primarchs, but mm. you know, that's, that's happening kind of across the board within the setting at this point. 
um, and they're publishing books about armies that lay out some of this lore and and drill some of this stuff down. Um, so this this is where things are are becoming hard codified. Things are becoming truly canonical. Okay. But there's still a lot of room in the universe for them to do stuff as that's happening. Okay. Cool. So. Well, what are you going to recommend for people to read? Um, I am taken. Taken. I. Oh, damn it! Now I can't think of the title of it. Um, there is a really, really good series of animations. Um, that was originally done as a fan project, but Games Workshop uh, eventually looked at it. And went, uh, this is really good, and this is better than any of our own guys are doing. Um, you're hired. Um, and now I'm trying to remember the title of it. Darn it. Um, but I'll have to I'll have to look it up and provide the title. Okay. Later. Uh, but there are there are fan animations uh, across the board. Uh, of Warhammer 40,000 stuff that I very highly recommend go to YouTube. Go to YouTube, look up Space Marine Animation and there is a lot of very, very good stuff there. And whether it's fan-created or official, um, they've done a very good job. Everybody, like, if it's a fan creation, it's a labor of love. And if it's something that's official from from uh, Games Workshop, they know their setting and the tone very well. Mm. And so anything you're going to find there, I'm going to say, is going to be a pretty good introduction to kind of what this universe feels like. Okay. So that's going to be my my recommendation. How about you? Uh, I'm going to recommend Winston Churchill, His Times, His Crimes by Tarek Ali or Tariq Ali. I, I haven't heard the man interviewed and introduced so you know the latinist in me um but Tarek ali uh winston churchill his times and his crimes uh seems like uh since we're talking about lehman rust uh yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. um seems like a good place to go so that's all what right I recommend um sounds good and at this point i don't think either of us want to be found online no. I don't think so. So uh, I think that's that's about where I'm going to go. All um, right. So where can they find this fine podcast since they've already found it? Yeah, well, since they've already found it. Um, but uh, if you want to go to a website, you can find us at wubbawubbawubba.geekhistorytime.com. We can be found on Twitter collectively. Uh, if there's some detail uh, in my uh, kayfabe history that I got wrong, uh, please feel free to anger on at me um at uh geek history time uh on twitter uh let me know what i got wrong and i will uh, submit myself uh to a pain engine uh for having done so um and where can you be found outside of the realm of the internet uh for now actually just keep with this podcast okay really. yeah uh give those give those reviews you know ed earned it um he looked through a bunch of books in his garage today so that's <laughs> I've been in his garage and you, sir, are no John Kennedy. Um, I don't I those quotes mixed in my head. Didn't, anyway, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, innocence proves nothing. <laughs>